On this week's Bet the Process podcast, Rufus and I do a mailbag. We are very uh, meandering, but we're also very diligent because we get through every single question that was asked. And Rufus even gives a golf pick that he may have given out before. So with that, let's start the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Welcome to the podcast. Bet the process. It's not that typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for picks, you're in the wrong place. Find a talent with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking, we're looking for the edge of Massey Peabody rankings. Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. The bottom line Welcome is to another episode of the Bet the Process podcast. It is a a mailbag edition and it's a special week because rufus is going to a lot of orioles yankees games um how's how's yankee stadium rufus it's it's a, a storied place i've been to both the old and the new yankee stadium not the super old one but the pre i don't know renovation one which where the bleachers were completely separate i, I will say last or last night I was sitting in, I think, section 224, which I, I really love those seats, fifth row. Um, it's kind of great because you're like at the same level as the press box, but, um, and, and the infield. And so I just love that perspective. Uh, how did, how was the game last night? It was fun. It was good. It took 30 minutes to get in. We got there like right at first pitch, arrived at the stadium at 7.05, and we didn't get in until 7.30. It was, the, the lines were insane at, on a Tuesday. Um, Are you going with the same person to every game? No, no. Different, different crowd I'm going to be with each time, different seats, everything. Who are you going with tonight? I'm going to, tonight with um, Chris Fargis and a few. Of I was friends. I was gonna guess Fargis. That would have that yeah. would have been my Fargis guess. Fargis is a big Mets fan, but I was able to persuade him to come up to Yankee Stadium. So nice. He's he's a big baseball fan in general. Nice. If I get out to New York, we can go play Liberty National because I got to know a guy on my last golf trip to Georgia that's a member at Liberty National. And I guess what's really cool is you can take the boat across to Liberty <laughs> National. They have their own boat. Jeff, do you realize that? Somebody on the phone, like literally a half hour ago, I was uh, Alex Kane. I was talking to Alex Kane from Sport Trade, and he was telling me the same thing. He's like, "You should join Liberty National. Like, you can take a they have a spe- special ferry from the financial district over there." And I was like, I'm "It's sure like their own ferry. How cool is that? It's right. How I mean, cool is that? That's, uh, I'm not. I mean, I'm not. That's... I'm not willing to pay a quarter million dollars for initiation into a for a club. Well, is it an equity membership? Then it's then it's an investment." Well, if it's an investment, that changes the, the calculus for sure. But well, I mean, if it's an equity thing, I mean, I can um, when I come out, I'll I'll we'll we'll go and we'll play there. Um, I, I need you to tell me what's a good business decision for me. In terms of just what to do with your extra cash. <laughs> no, whether whether I should join or not. Well, my point is if it's an equity membership, it's different, right? Because it's like it's not, it's not, you're not just pissing away the cash theoretically. Um and it could go up. Who knows? You never know. But it, it does sound like an amazing experience um, to be able to like take a ferry across to go play golf from the city. I mean, what's what's that would be what's nice. better than that? I think the problem like, in the, the city, it's just so hard to get out to play golf. Yeah. That, there, so there you go. And you live. Well, where did you buy your place? You just bought a place, right? And I haven't. Gonna, like, I haven't hey, hey, you you're this. completely jinxing this. It is okay. It is in the, do, there's all these lawyers. It's the due diligence process. Hopefully I'll have a contract signed by the end of this week. And then there's, you know, all the time before closing. So um, it's it's in NoHo though, kind of near the intersection of, uh, of actually four different neighborhoods, Nolita, NoHo, East Village, and Lower East Side. Nice. Um, I am going to, rather than doing a tilted moment for me this week, I had a non-tilted moment, which is last night when the Celtics won this, the, you know, to avoid getting swept. But I want you to help me think about this uh, series because you're totally dispassionate. You're an analytics guy. And how should I think about the expect the the chances of the Celtics? Now, let me lay this out because you probably don't realize a lot of this, but the Celtics going into the series were predominant favorites, right? They've been 
anywhere from eight to 10 point favorites in their home games against Miami. Uh, even in game one and game three, they were down Oh two. The line opened as like Celtics minus one and a half and went all the way up to four. Um, and then uh, yesterday facing the sort of like basically sweep and like people thinking they gave up the heat were favored by one and a half, which was tremendous it's amount huge of difference. movement, obviously huge. Difference. So, so, yeah. so this was heat at home, both of these games. So he apples to apples comparison, games. but down 2-0, there's this perception that Boston is going to try harder or something like right. that. And, that, that. and then down 3-0, there's a perception that they're going to give up. Given up. Right. So it's kind of a fascinating. That, that To me, it feels like that that has to be an overreaction, that it can't be worth yeah. that many points. But With the one and a half was, I mean, in hindsight, the one and a half, although there were a lot of, I mean, that's one of those things that it's really, really hard to quantify, right? It's hard to quantify how, you know, because they looked like they gave up in, in game three. And um, I was texting with a friend of ours that works for the team. And he, uh, I said to him yesterday, and I was very, I I almost given up in my mind. I was like, how are you feeling? He's like, oh, I'm, I'm feeling fine. If we, if we make our shots and don't turn the ball over, we should win. Right. And he's literally been saying this to me the entire postseason. Like he One game at basically a time. has a funny a funny cam canned result that he just sends to me, but it is sort of that simple. <laughs> yeah. Like they didn't, they didn't turn the ball over and they made shots. Like in the first three games of this series, they did not make shots. And if you in game three, they lost by, I don't know, 21. And it was probably even worse than that. It was like 30 something at one point. But if you regressed the three point shooting percentages to the season averages of both teams, there was something like 30, almost 40 points of three-point shooting variance, right? And obviously, like, the Heat are playing better, and, like, you can't just do that. Like, that's not – but, like, that is interesting, right, where there's just a lot explained by make or miss in the NBA. Like, it's 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 it can be just that simple. Okay, so here's my point. So now we won, right? And so no team in the NBA has ever come back from a 3-0 deficit, right? But wait, none wait, of the – that can't be true. No team has no. ever come back from down 3-0 in any series. Never in the NBA. No, never. That is astounding to me. And yeah, I guess that one, makes, it was, it makes more sense. It makes more sense in the NBA than other sports because there is so much less variance in this in a single game NBA result. Like think about how often the best team in the league is going to beat the worst versus something like baseball, where in baseball, the best team at home is going to beat the be- the worst team 70 something percent and the nba it's going to be in the 90s something in the 90s right yeah and it's happened four times in the nhl right which is similar to your point it right? ha- which is in any individual hockey series there's i mean game there's, there's more randomness games. in hockey i mean just look at the I mean, look at the uh, imagine a if there if there was such thing as a best of seven nfl playoff series um if you just had lots of time and wanted football to extend year round then you know Imagine a team going up 3-0 and like, it's going to be hard to go up 3-0 without being a, a better team typically, right? And right. Ba- a football, like a football is, a, is an example where the best team beats the worst team a lot more than any other sport. Right. I would say. Okay. So, so, so let's go back to this basketball. I, I want to say though, your, your, your Red Sox, when they broke through, they beat, they came back from down 3-0 against the Yankees in 2003. Yeah, there's been a lot of. I mean, you you don't follow basketball at all, but they're the 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 um, Celtics players have been using the Red Sox like they they basically both Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown both tweeted out something like "Don't let us win tonight" kind of thing, like you know, just like Kevin Millar did. I mean, there's one game at a time. Like, we we okay, so, sorry so to let me, but let if me you look at the, if you look at the 141 or however many times the teams that 49. went up three zero won. How many of those times were they the much better team? Most that, all of them. That's the point. Right. And this is a case where it's the opposite. And also the team down 3-1 has now, 3-0 has a home field, a home, you know, home court, right? So of the last four games in that situation, two of them were going to be um, on that team's home court. Now, the we are now 3-1, right? So... 
and and 60% of the teams that are down four nothing lose it get swept i mean down three nothing get swept okay so we're already we're already past sort of like a median outcome kind of thing right and um you know where we are right now is 3-1 the actual series line right now is in the mid minus 250 range right and the celtics are favored by 10 at home i'm sorry by 8 at home uh and then they will if they win knock on wood they will probably be favored in miami by a point or two would be my guess and then if they won that they'd probably be favored in game 7 by you know 8 again something like that right so it's a Wait, crazy how, how much situation. were they favored in game 1 relative they to how much favored they're favored by, now for game they were up 5 clo- close to the same amount let me let me just okay. check it, it, it so it's was, interesting um, i guess what's interesting is how much how much the market is adjusting or how if it is to how well the heat are playing cuz the heat have overachieved the entire postseason, but they're yeah. also a better so, team. I, I, they're a better so, team than people thought they were. Is that correct? Well, so, so not just and there's variance, a question. Right? There's a question in the mailbag about that too. So yeah, Boston was an eight and a half point favorite in game one. And then they were a uh, nine and a half point favorite in game two, which was like, you know, zigzag factor. And then there are four, they closed a four and a half point favorite in game three right and so now they're back to a, an eight point favorite in game five which again to me as a celtics fan that's watched this seems a little crazy but the celtics are a weird team because when they win they win by margin because they shoot so many threes right they they don't they 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 will probably either lose tomorrow night or cover eight would be my guess i don't see them winning in a close game <laughs> That that I'm gonna call you out. That sounds very narrative driven, yes. anecdotal. Sure, to- yeah. to- totally, totally, totally. But I, I'm just I'm not like I'm not saying ma- like ma- I'm talking right now, Rufus, to you as a fan, right? And you as a and, and I'm trying to get you as a as my psychologist or my psychiatrist because I hear you're into that kind of stuff. I, I I I want you to kind of like help diagnose this as an analytics guy to sort of see like yeah. where I should be. You know, how I should be thinking about this. Hold on. I'll, I'll try to look up the DSM. I don't even know what the DSM number it is now. Maybe the DSM six to see what mental illness we can diagnose you with disorder. Excuse me. Let, let's not, let's not do bring mental illness. Yeah. This. Okay. Um, let's not make levity but, of mental illness. Um, so, okay. So what, what do you think? Should I be optimistic, cautiously optimistic? I mean, obviously they're still not favored to win, but, but you know, there, there's a chance, right? There's a, much greater yeah. chance than there was yesterday. And, um, you know, how should I feel? I, I think so. I, I think you should, I mean, as a fan also, this is, if they, if they come back and win, it is so much more satisfying than if they swept the series. Do you know what I mean? I think as a fan, there's nothing greater than winning when you're not supposed to win. Yeah, of course. And I mean, like, you, I mean, you never like that part of falling behind. That's why the, I mean, when the Red Sox, the Red Sox came back from down 3-0 and then they went on and swept the Cardinals and it was kind of anticlimactic, right? That part. Yeah. It was, it was, it was that beating the Yankees. But yeah. I, I think yeah. that, to me, this is like, I don't know how you should feel. I mean, clearly they have a chance still. But what's interesting to me is how much these lines move off the perception of effort. Or might it might be some sort of rest or, or I, I don't know. I don't know if the Heat say, you know what, game four, we're not going to, or sorry, Game three, we're gonna maybe not play our starters as much or something like that. I mean, it, that to me that doesn't make sense. But the whole yeah. line going from four to you know basically a five or six point swing across zero, so not quite that much. But that to me, just based on this notion of of effort and a team checking out, like seems seems like it can't be that big and. I haven't looked at the numbers or anything like that. And as you mentioned, there's not going to be a huge sample size of these things, but what I can do is kind of take my experience analyzing other sports and other things, similar situations. And, and I think, and to me, that magnitude of a move seems like it, it, it has to be too much just given what I've seen in other sports. Yeah. Is the NBA that different? 
Um, I mean, I know it is, but I don't know. I mean, and, and so the, the, the just, and we might as well take this question, which is from Nathan Midnight Leader Harris, PhD at Nathaniel Harris. Can you guys discuss how and why bookmakers in the market have been so wrong about the heat this playoff round? Have any insights about this? Also, it seems many public analytical models have been way off too. Um, you know, obviously this is something you don't know a ton about, but the Heat were a number eight seed and they have sort of managed to upset. I do know that. Yeah, they upset the the, the Bucks. Bucks and then and then they they beat the Knicks. And you know, I mean, I think I was listening to Tony Kornheiser's podcast this morning when when I was driving my kids to school. And he had on someone from Florida and he taught, he, they were sort of talking about the Florida Panthers and the heat, which were both number eight seeds and, and sort of, he has already like, kind of like put them both in the, you know, in the finals. Uh, Cause I think the Panthers are maybe one game away or something like that also. And um, what he said is from a talent perspective and, you know, the, the heat were the number one seed last year in the, in the, um, you know, they were the number one seed in the, in the, um, in the East. And they, you know, obviously have lost a couple people from that team, but, you know, like you could wonder how important, you know, Oladipo would be, or, um, you know, Hero obviously is a very good offensive player, but potentially like the, what they've been able to do defensively, um, you know, there, there's a little bit of like the NBA regular season doesn't matter. And a lot of the lines are being based off of, you know, regular season statistics and, you know, they, it's hard. And you, you understand this from a gambler's perspective. It's hard to adjust your model that much based on a shorter recent sample size, right? This is Especially like when the, the season's this, so long, this, yeah, this is at, at the core, but, the art of, you know, modeling sports betting, right. Which is like, how do you know the signal from the noise especially as it pertains to short form results, short term results or form, as we call it. Um, it's, it's, it's a pretty tough question. And I think what I would say is, you know, you, you do have to model or figure out a little bit about like if they're doing something fundamentally different that would make, you know, whether it's playing different players, shorter rotation, um, you know, there's this perception that Jimmy Butler completely steps up in the playoffs and is a totally different player. Um, but again, like some of this stuff is probably very narrative, right? Yeah. But I mean, I think you can look at some of these things like the Jimmy Butler thing is his usage rate higher is his shot selection. I mean, like, where is he stepping up? That's what I'd be right. interested in diving into is, is he just making more shots? Is he attempting higher quality shots? Um, I do know the NBA playoffs are a different animal and teams use different, you know, shorter benches, of course, shorter, rota- smaller rotations. and full effort because in a long season like that with the wear and tear of NBA play on, on the guy's bodies, I mean, you can't give full effort every game. And so clearly, I mean, I think, and, and that's why all these models have been so wrong. Like, like FPI, I know has gotten crap, not FPI, BPI, whatever the, and was it, or, and, and the whole Nate Silver thing over the years for, for their, um, how much it seemed to wait regular season stuff. Right. Right. The whole notion that the, that the star players are going to step up in the playoffs and they kind of coast through the regular season. So I don't know if that was the case in this, in this situation, but I think it would be interesting to like dive into it and sort of like the Jimmy Butler example and sort of see where it's coming from. And then from yeah. that, you can kind of try to make an inference. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think it, I get like to your point, I think it'd be, it's an interesting thing to look at and figure out and uh, you know the the simple answer to the question of the mailbag is that um, well I mean the other thing too is like in that small of a sample size would you say it's for sure that the market and the bookmakers have been wrong? Do you know what I mean? Like it, it, just because there's been a sample size of what um, ultimately you know twenty twenty one games at the most it's probably less than that. 20 games, 18 games where there's been, you know, is that enough where variance could be used to just explain the difference in uh, results versus, you know, um, lines? I mean, I would say in the NBA, probably not. Certainly you wouldn't think 
in the NFL. I think about an 18 game staple in the NFL or college football, right? Yeah, but a lot yeah. of this, but but Rufus, a lot of this in in their performance, right? If you look at the underlying, is their three point shooting. It's right? just been where better. there's a t- it's who's, a, yeah, who's it's been taking better. the shots. I, who's been taking the shots? Is it each? Because if they I think were it's universally these, on... role, these role players that are that are are making them at a much higher rate than they have made them in the past. And Duncan well, Robinson's been yeah. playing more. It's, and so he's, like he's a really good they are having shooter, if i remember right yeah he he is yeah. he is but he's he's a he's a terrible liability on defense and there was a point in, in the season where white. they almost they almost were going to waive him um you know they it, it's because he's it's it's not his race it's because he's not super athletic um and uh so you're saying white anyways, guys aren't so, athletic no. i've never said that rufus I'm you're kidding. the one that said that uh anyways i don't want to get canceled so uh well so you think you think that's enough of a sample size to basically be like yes that this is wrong well again it depends on where the differences are coming from right and so i i wouldn't i mean i think 18 games is for for nba basketball is a, a, it's way more than 18 games for major league baseball less than 18 right. games for the nfl so Again, it's I don't thinking of it as like okay, right and wrong. I think misses a lot of the nuance. It's probably somewhere in the middle, and it's yeah. and it's figuring out what percentage right and what percentage wrong it's been. That's kind of where, and that's I mean, that's kind of the secret to betting. Yeah. Okay, let's move on. We can go jump to, into the other questions. You want to start from the top in the doc? Yeah, we can do that. Let's see. First one from. Ryan Roncatore, Ryan Roncatore, I don't know. How are taxes handled when placing bets through partnership? The 1099 one player receives won't accurately align with with their actual shared profit. I think that's a great question. I would say first off that I'm not an accountant. I'm not a lawyer. This is not legal advice. This is not accounting advice. So definitely consult your accountant and or lawyer. But you shouldn't be getting a 1099 from a US book unless there are certain conditions that are met, like in a very state to state and captain Jack would be able to tell you a lot better about that, more about that. But, but you could always 1099 your partner too. So if you get a 10 or if your partner gets a 1099 for a lot of money, they can then 1099 you or vice versa. Um, you're not doing anything illegal there. Um, yes, it'll, it's, it's inconvenient, but you know, just make sure you pay your taxes don't pay taxes on money that you didn't, you don't need to pay taxes on money you didn't make, but yes, consult an accountant or lawyer. Okay. There we go. Um, okay. Paul, Paul Erickson, Pauly Poodle at Pauly Poodle. Do you weigh putting differently for very different cold greens versus easier greens or is putting in general overrated because it's such an inconsistent skill set? Um, yes, putting different greens is definitely different. And I think putting is like most skill sets, putting decomposes into multiple skill sets. Just, you know, for example, just like sand play around, like short game isn't all the same. Like sand is different than out of the rough and, and approach play is different out of the rough than out of the fairway. And some guys based on their swings are going to be better or are going to have trouble hitting balls out of the deep rough. Um, and other big, strong guys like Brooks Kepka are going to be able to, and Bryson DeChambeau are going to be able to gouge out better. So um, it is, I definitely, it is different predicting putting on every course for that matter. Got it. Uh, what's the best golf course either of you have played at in Florida? Do you want to go first on this one, Jeff? I haven't played a lot in Florida, so I would not really have an answer to this question. My the courses I played in Florida have all been around the sort of Delray Beach, Palm Beach area. I've played uh, Gulfstream, I've played Everglades Club, and I've played I think Florida Country Club, and those were all very nice courses. Um, I this was all a few years ago though. What's the best golf course you've ever played? Because I now have an, a very good answer to that question. Mine is Cabot Cliffs. Yeah. In, in Nova Scotia. What's yours? Mine, Cyprus. 
Cypress Point. Ah, I just played. I just played Cypress Point last Friday. Um, Is that the most unrelatable thing you did this past week? <laughs> I would think that that's the most unrelatable thing I did last week. But it's interesting because Cypress Point actually has like a pretty good unaccompanied, um, you know, tea time program, and they use it minor. Because, no, I mean like you can they they send unaccompanied out like first thing in the morning um and you know you you just get to have someone that's a member of their sponsor you for that and you you pay a a pretty pretty expensive greens fee and you pay the caddies and they do this because they want to keep their caddy program active right they want to help their caddies make more money because a place like cypress point doesn't get a lot of rounds um but it is the most unbelievable stunning course and fun. It's not like really hard because the night the night before we went down there and we played uh Spyglass, and then the next day we played Cypress Point. And um I had probably the best round I've ever had at Cypress Point. I mean, I mean, I think I only ended up shooting like a 90. Um, and it's a, like a 137 slope or something like that. So that's a it's a that was a pretty good score for me. But like I was, you know, hitting shots well, striking the ball well, and you know, left a, probably four or five shots out there with bad lag putts or bad, you know, bad, uh, bad chips and things like that. But and that's just my game. But in terms of actually like playing, you know, and being and getting around the course and striking the ball, it was, it was really great. And so, um, that is my most unrelatable thing I've done. And also, um, my favorite golf course I've ever played. How much do you think the fact that you played well factors into that? A lot. For sure. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, it's, what's, what's it's, funny. Good. Well, Jeff, you know, Tom has, I have not played Cyprus. Tom has played it. He has, he has a friend, um, that, that lives out there and works out there, um, in the golf course industry. And he's played it before you. I just wanted to throw that out there, but I don't, he likes cabin. He likes, he, well, if he likes cabin better than Cyprus. So we maybe we need to get you out. Like he just messaged me today about when we're going to do our cabot trip. So it's yeah. When I, when I get a job and I'm feel like a functioning member of society again, I start thinking about doing frivolous golf trips. I've got like one more left and then I'm really battening down the hatches in terms of my life and trying to get serious about what I'm going to do next. Cabot is not a frivolous golf trip. Cabot is a, I know, but it's a frivolous trip trip to get there for me as far. And like, it it feels like if I were to do that, it would be like a vacation. Right. And I guess if I'm doing some work on the East coast, it won't be that far. Yeah. So, um, last strong. uh, So this is from James might white man say what, uh, last strong opinion you changed your mind about if on a sports podcast, what main points would you want to make sure your listeners knew to make less, let's say fewer bad bets. What's your spiel? Do you have any general advice? on how, when to Texas hedge, if just betting for fun. Okay. So we'll start, you, you'll start the at the top one. last strong opinion. You changed your mind about, I will say that I, I don't think I have strong. I have, I don't think I have strong opinions that I changed my mind about. I think I have, you have strong opinions loosely held. Yeah. Maybe that's the best way to put it. I mean, there are things that in, in my like golf modeling that I've changed my opinion on over the years where once I got evidence that, oh, something I thought didn't matter actually does matter. Or I don't know. I mean, I, I, what was the one thing that you were, uh, I think that you were talking about like when, when players go off and around and like how you were doing some modeling that kind of changed your mind about how to, how to model that. Right. How it's kind of, it can be asymmetrical. Yeah, that was that was relatively recently. It kind of blew your mind a little bit, right? And then there was something about Cam about like Cam Smith. Oh, let's, whatever, let's not right? talk anymore about that. But okay. Uh, right. But well, I don't. What about we'll, you, Jeff? We'll what's, sell what's, it the last, no. what's the last stro- strongly held opinion you changed your mind about? By the way, I think it's a great question. I think being able to change your mind about things is when I see someone change their mind about something rather than you know being characterizing them as a flip-flopper like John Kerry was in the 2004 election. Like, I think it actually shows that you're willing to, you're open-minded. Um, probably, probably the vaccine, right? I had like a pretty strong opinion about the vaccine early on that it was something that people should get. And, you know, you were, you know, that, that was the solution to COVID and ultimately like 
it was it was a people that weren't getting the vaccine were you know not you know that i i had a strong opinion about that and and now i think that people that decided not to get the vaccine were 100 percent in their in their right mind to do that and um we pushed the vaccine way too hard on people because ultimately it was a personal opinion um like for people that were young and healthy there was probably very little reason to take the vaccine um and potentially more of a potential downside to taking it um so it's not that i'm an anti-vaxxer in any way like i believe in vaccines but i think in terms of covid and the situation I did feel strongly about vaccines being like the way to go. And now I feel like looking back on it, a lot of the arguments I had with people about vaccines, I feel like I was probably wrong. What do you think of that, Rufus? Yeah, no, that's, that's a 180. But do you share what I'm saying or do you understand? Oh, I understand it. I didn't have, I didn't have a particularly strong opinion on, on the vaccine one way or another. I got the vaccine and I didn't get any of the, um, the boosters or anything like that. I, I also am someone that my ex once had to like offer to pay me money to go get a flu vaccine because I I never got the flu vaccine. I grew up in a family where, I don't know, um, you weren't sick unless you were throwing up or had a fever. And so I, I've, I feel like as a result of that, I don't really acknowledge. Yeah. I mean, no, I don't believe in germs. So I don't get sick. It's a great placebo effect. The, the flu vaccine is like a slightly different story for me these days because you are trying to prevent yourself from getting flu and having your kids get the flu. And so ultimately there is this- Having kids, yeah. Yeah, having kids changes. changes I, did, I don't think I ever got the flu vaccine until I had kids. Uh, and it's moving not, on, a problem, wait, not a vaccine. Moving but, on though to the second question in, in this, or maybe the last question in this series of questions. Um, I think you might, I thought you would like it, Jeff, because I feel like you love the Texas hedge, which is, you know, for those that don't I'm, know, it's, it's essentially just betting more on the same thing. I, I'm, I've like largely feel like I haven't had a great run on futures in a while. Like I had the, um, the Niners to win the NFC and to win the Super Bowl. And, you know, I think I had had really good numbers on that, obviously going into the NFC game and felt, you know, good about that situation. And then how that played out was so gross to watch as someone holding that. Um, and if I had Texas hedge there, I would have felt even grosser. Obviously. Um, the Celtics, how this one's playing out for me is, is not wonderful. Um, you know, like the game three performance they had literally made me not want to watch them in game four. And it's, just, it's actually very similar to how I felt in the last series when game five, they completely knowed against Philly. And I felt like there was no way they were going to come back. So I think right now I'm not a fan of the Texas hedge at all. And if by some incredible stroke of luck, um, the Celtics are able to make the finals now holding those Celtics futures, I am definitely going to hedge some out um, and try to get myself into a reasonable position. That's a little bit less, less leverage. So I think in my older age and my risk profile changing, I'm less Texas hedgy, if that makes sense. It's probably all risk profile, right? And yeah. for, this guy's saying, if you're doing this you're for the fun of it, yeah. So if you're doing it for the fun of it, yeah, of course, Texas hedge, because like, you know, you're, you're getting a chance to ultimately, you know, enjoy more, <laughs> but it depends, but it depends on you. And if, if you're going to feel really bad, if you're going to feel worse of that lost, then, then maybe that isn't for you, but there's certain people that kind of have a little more gamble in them and kind of enjoy that more. And so go for it. The yeah. other question on here is about what point you would make if you're on a big podcast to help listeners make fewer bad bets. I'm on Kornheiser's show every week. And so what I do like during the NFL season and, you know, I, I guess for me, a lot of the recreational betting has to do with you know entertainment right so it's it's hard to give anyone real advice on sports betting um ultimately because you know you don't really know why they're doing it like if they're ultimately trying to do it to make money then you have a whole system and, and advice for them which is like get a model find you know find some edge figure out why you have that edge and you know like money management and on and on 
Um, but if you're on like the Tony Kornheiser recreational show and, and you're giving someone recreational advice, it's, you know, bet on things that you're going to watch because that's the most fun thing. And, you know, try to, I, I don't know, I guess like try to get the best number that like, oh, is that maybe in anything you bet, because if you do that, then you're probably picking up, you know, a few, you know, a few points of value kind of thing, percentage, not percentage points, but portions of percentage points. I don't know. What, what would you say, Rufus? I would say line shop. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's I mean, saying, right? right. Yeah. I think that's the, that's the lowest hanging fruit. And, you know, even if you're betting recreationally, if you're, it, it's, it's kind of a thing that you can do that doesn't have a, much of a cost and you're going to, it's going to help you do better and you'll feel better if you do better generally. I think. Okay. On who next... finishes? Who finished? Yeah, we got to get through these. We, we've been like, I okay. think it's been interesting, but if we want to get through many of these questions, who finishes? You've been, you've been the talker more? here, Jeff. You've you've been the guy going off on on these, uh, and and you've been and it's been great. It's it's been okay. absolutely fantastic. But thank you, Rufus. I love you too. Who finishes his career with more majors, Brooks or Rom? And does Rory win another one? Brooks. Let's take the first one. Brooks, Brooks because will... he's got enough of it. He's he's up five to one. Is that right? I think that's a big enough head start, and it's just hard to win majors, even if you're the best player in the world. I think Brooks is handicapped by the fact that he's not going to have as much career longevity, probably, um, just because based on the injuries he's had and stuff like that. And he said he's going to have to have another knee replacement at some point. And um, but I think that that's a it, it's hard to win five majors, even if you know you're one of the best players in the world um, for a long period of time. I think Rory probably does win another one, but I mean, I don't know the more like, like the numbers say yes, but my gut says like that it's just in his head too much. Maybe if he gets a good sports psychologist or better one, I don't know if he has one now, but maybe he needs to like find a different one. Thoughts. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Like, I mean, there's just too much opportunity for Rory and he's too talented um, but he, he's, you know, I, I think he'll win a major and I would take the yes there. And then Brooks versus Rom. I think you're right. The head start is a lot to overcome. Um, or you know, we, Rom, we know it's, it's five to two, right? Not five to one. What is Rom? What has won the, the, um, the U S open at Torrey Pines and what else has he won? Um, he won the masters this year. Oh, that's right. Sorry. I literally for, almost forgot about that too. When I was thinking the yeah. five to one. Uh, so yeah. eh. it's close. I still think you know, it's, do you think it, Brooks is, is, it is just hard to win is, majors. And, and right Brooks now, is be... I was going to say that you have, I mean, golf, you have a pretty deep field of really good golfers. And I think it's only going to get, I think the younger generation is only going to be even better. And if you look at it, you realistically, you can't really count on winning a major after age 40. I mean, it happens, but it doesn't happen that often. And I think with the young talent coming into the game, it's going to be even harder. Do you think Brooks is helped by being on live and that being like a little bit less taxing on his body? Cause it's, you know, fewer, like fewer golf like days or whatever. And no, I mean, fewer events. Look, Kepka was winning majors before live. It's he'd ever played no, no. that much of a crazy schedule. Like he didn't have to, I mean, maybe right. now with, yeah, like the top play, that's always the top players never play nearly as many events as the Patrick Rogers is of the world. Right. Um, what are on your Mount Rushmore of both courses you've played of both courses? You've played? Of course, yeah, I guess it's, courses, I don't know if these are separate courses? mountains or the, or yeah, I don't know if these are separate mountains or the same mountain with like, but I, I, Honestly, I don't really have like a bucket list of courses I want to play. Like clearly I would love to play like Pine Valley. I'd love to play the old course. There's a, like, I'd love to play Pebble, but I'm not a golf course snob. Really. I kind of like, I, I enjoy rounds at a local Muni as much as almost as much as a, a really nice course. That said, I would say the ones I've liked the most are my, I guess my Mount Rushmore um, would have like Cabot cliffs. It would have, um, I think it would have to have Marion. Um, and then I would probably say Ross bridge on the RTJ trail, which, um, there's actually a few in the RTJ trails that I could put in there. I think that's a very underrated, uh, golf 
course area, whatever, Alabama. Um, and I guess those three, those would be my, my three probably. Although I might put some random course in Maine that, <laughs> that nobody's ever heard of. That's just cause uh, just for sentimental reasons. You know, the, um, I, that wedding that I went to the weekend we were in Vegas, it was, it was right on Las Vegas national. So like, I got to see Las Vegas national golf course that you talk about. what do you think? Backyard. I mean, it looked like it'd be fun. Like we should go play that next time we're out. Like it, it looked like just kind of like a fun little, I don't know. I mean, I didn't see a ton of it. I just saw a little bit of it from the backyard, but like the, the people were teeing off basically from the backyard where the wedding was, was happening. Oh, was what, what hole? I don't remember. What was the, what street was it on? I'm, I'm, I'm kind of curious. Cause was it, it might've been that short. Um, it might've been that short par four. Yeah. Um, I think it might've been, a, it would look like think. a short par four. Yeah. Cause I, I remember the parties being held at a particular place where. Yeah. I, I think, I think you're probably, it's probably dead on about two. it. Fifth hole. Maybe that's what I'm gonna guess. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, what was oh sorry in my mount rushmore of golf courses that i've um played, in less than five minutes in. hopefully <laughs> i mean cyprus pebble is one that i've never played that i really do want to play um riviera was pretty amazing um i don't have as much desire to play the scotland courses for whatever reason and or the the ireland like it just seems cold and oh, i love nasty that to me. I, I like i like bad weather golf i like the creativity yeah, when like, it's really windy it's kind of i don't know it's, I like it's different golf. yeah uh okay. okay uh what was the best year of your life so far do you think it can or will be topped in the future that's a great question. I would say the best year of my life would be remote year. So I guess it was 2017 to 2018. I don't know which one I would pick out of those, maybe 2018, but just traveling the world for a year, meeting so many amazing people, just the fact, the newness of it all, like everything was, I, I think that routine can be really good for people getting things done and stuff like that, but it makes life go by much quicker. And if you're having new experiences and doing new things. Um, it, it feels like it time kind of slows down in a way. And so I, I do think I, it can and will be topped at some point, um, depending on like, you know, if I have a family or something like that, you know, there's going to be, I mean, my life will change and my priorities will change and we'll see. I mean, I hope, I, I hope it, it, I hope I do have a better year. I, I will say that was, objectively like i think that was the best year in in certain ways but you know like the last year any of the last two years i i could say have been the best years of my life in terms of like like growth so there's all sorts of different elements there yeah i think my best year i've had good years basically since we moved up here to the you know tiburon belvedere area and i've gotten to know new people and I've just had like a wonderful time having kids and, and just enjoying that. And, um, I mean, the last, the last year of my life has been amazing and stressful. It's been amazing because I've gotten to sort of do all the things that I just want to do and, you know, spent time with my kids and took, taking some time off from the day-to-day -day of work. But like, obviously now needing to sort of like get on with my life and my career and, and figure out what I want to do next um, that's become a little bit stressful over the last, I don't know, a couple months. So, um, you know, I think once I get this next phase figured out, I, I, I think I'll have a, a better year. Like I hope every year that I have going forward and having kids is just, just awesome. And so like, like that is, that makes your life better and your years better. So I'm, I'm excited for that. Okay. Um, NFL line, this is from Michael, Sir, Surma Michael, NFL line moves Saturday to Sunday, one point, square. Square? Impossible I mean, you can't, impossible, impossible to, know. to know. Could be injuries, it could be not injuries, impossible to know. I guess impossible. probably not. Okay. Okay, from... E, 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 go ahead. From E underscore MC. Mm -hmm. uh, for modeling, what techniques work best for compilation pricing, in your opinion? Regression, NN, neural nets... XG boost, do you combine multiple for an ensemble? I'm not sure what compilation pricing means. I Googled it. Um, it didn't really 
help me. I mean, but I, I would assume it's, I'm just going to talk about it in terms of pricing things um, in sort of like a bottoms up type model. Um, I would say specific technique, in my opinion, matters less than sort of how the model's constructed. And I know there's probably people out there that disagree with me on that, but I, I don't think you just throw kid, the kitchen sink at at something. I think you need to construct variables that are properly contextualized and adjusted. And you want to use logic rather than regression when it makes sense based on your domain knowledge. Regression is is just estimating something. And if you actually know that something, why would you estimate it? You're going to, you know, it's, it's, it's more, it's much more accurate to use logic there and it's going to be better. But I do think ensembling is going to help address the weaknesses of each of the different things and the strengths. And so um, I think all those are good or good techniques, depending on what your, what the particulars are of what you're, you're modeling. But I definitely, I, I think machine learning stuff is great, but you have to remember that it does not, um, I don't think it's the end all be all. I think logical, thoughtful construction before you put it into that is important. Okay. Okay. Next, Tom at Mad Satirist. For Rufus, how often do you schedule time and how much time to improve your golf model? So for me, I would say it's less schedule time and more inspiration and having the time to delve into things. This week, for example, I've been spending a ton of time on golf R&D stuff that actually I have testing on my computer with code running as we speak. So it's always an ongoing process and, and it kind of depends on my bandwidth and my inspiration. But you know, I'd probably say at least a third like a third of the time on golf is spent on R and D stuff for in two thirds on maintenance stuff, maybe. Uh, peasy withdrawn at JP peasy is social media, a waste of time. Yes, yeah. but I still love it. <laughs> it can be for sure. I mean, it depends what I you mean by social media, right? Like, uh, I, and I don't think anyone really cares about our opinion on this. So, but no. the, because it's a much more challenging question, but I don't think it matters whether it's a waste of time because it's kind of here to stay. And it's, it's, you know, social media, as far as like Twitter, it's, it's pretty important. Um, especially if you're like building a podcast or you want people to buy your picks on unabated or something like that. Right. I think so. people would be better off. I think society would be better off on those social media though. People would be happier. Yeah, but it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. But, it's kind of that, I mean, that. I listen that, to the surgeon general. That uh, that train has left the station. It has, unfortunately. Um, I mean, the the it all the downfall of society all started with the invention of the wheel. That's that's what that's the hill go. I'll die on. That's what that's going to be cause the extinction of humanity. The wheel. F. Perkins asks, uh, Frank Perkins, what's the most relatable food you don't like? Okay, I don't do so. I I don't do dairy, so that's probably it. Like cheese, pizza, yeah, cheese. the. the I mean, the, the way that you ruin pizza to me is incredible. It still tastes good. Taking the cheese off and having non, yeah. Um, you could call it not almost, pizza if you want. But. I mean, all, olives, I don't really like olives and I love olive oil, but for whatever reason, I don't really eat olives. I'm kind of with and you so, on that. I don't, I, I don't think that's, I think that's fairly common though. Like I like capers, but, and I like pickles, but I don't really love olives. Maybe it makes me unrelatable that I think, that that I think that olives are relatable. Maybe. Yeah. Um, interesting. Rack F R A A C one says, "You say you can't beat golf outrights on Thursday, but could you beat places at the books that offer them?" So I guess places are in each way bets. You have the win and the place part. I would say that the reason I what I say about golf outrights on Thursday is largely because at that point the market's already reflecting my prices to a pretty large extent. So. I think that argument kind of holds true for places. And so at that point, I'm just anything that's really off market, there's been, or that I show value on, there's been market resistance too. And so those are by their nature going to be less strong plays. Fewer strong. Um, fewer strong plays. At Super Steve, if momentum isn't real, why do NBA coaches get crucified for not calling a timeout after a 7 0 run? I'll let you answer that first, Jeff. There's a second. Well, that, that's not necessarily just momentum, right? That's ultimately trying to make an adjustment that stops. Like Joe Mazzulla, who's the, the Celtics coach and 
has been getting largely killed um, during the series, rightly and wrongly, I think. Rightly meaning like Aspo is certainly out coaching him, but wrongly in that he, it's not, he's not the whole problem. Um, he called a bunch of timeouts last night. And what he did is he ran really good off. He got them to run really good offense to sort of like get a good shot out of those timeouts. And I think that use of timeouts to, it's not, I mean, kill moment, whatever you want to call it. It's just to make an adjustment that will help the team get into good offense because the Celtics are a team that will play really bad offense at times. And so taking a timeout to yeah, get but, them into but good is offense. playing bad is, offense caused by momentum. I guess it all depends on how you define momentum though, right? Okay, let's move on from that. Are Friday tournament winner lines mispriced on tough courses because they don't factor into the appropriate degree the ability of the leaders to give up ground? To that, I would say no. I think in general, markets, these are one-way markets, so they're protecting themselves against largely the the most popular players and where the public money is going to come from, and that often is on the top players, even if they're um, not right at the top of the leaderboard, I think the market overvalues their ability to come back in a way. So almost, I think the opposite. Yeah. Um, at text Dan R. Why do you not cover horse racing? One of seven reader of book also enjoyed movie fan of <laughs> yours, Jeff. Thanks. Thanks. Text Danner. I think neither of us have interest in it and neither of us has any domain knowledge in it. I, I bet on a derby and lost. So I've never, know. never, I've, I've never bet on horses. Actually, I think once when I was You've never Ahab, bet on the derby no, for shits and giggles. No, I haven't once I, I once was actually, no, I once did when I was at a wedding, but it wasn't like a real bet. It was a kind of Kentucky Derby themed wedding the weekend of the, or the day of the Kentucky Derby. So there were mint juleps and someone was taking bets, but I did go to, I think, um, sports Haven. I think it was called in new Haven. It was some off track race site when I, um, when I was in college, I think you only had to be 18 too. Maybe I just, I had a fake ID. I mean, I did have a fake ID, but that was the most depressing place I've ever been. Percent okay. of people from Nick, which is from Mr. 618 worldwide percent of people on gambling tour. You actually, you think when at scale versus how many were, are just long on Bitcoin at the right time. I Most think a lot of sports books were long on Bitcoin at the right time. I mean, I don't know. Not everybody on gambling Twitter claims to to win at scale. So I guess people that claim they're professional betters, I mean, definitely most are not. And you should definitely be skeptical of their claims and evaluate. I think Jeff would say this, evaluate them based on their process and how they, how not, not by flashy pictures of cars and stuff like that. And, you know, I, if someone says, Hey, Rufus, you know, I don't know if you're winning better. I totally respect that because what, you know, there's not, I, I would be dubious of, I, I would be dubious of people. How, how many, how many winning, too. how many, how many winning bet? Do you think that people in Seville are winning betters? Uh, some of them are for sure. I, I think a high percentage of, I think a high percentage of Seville betters are, are winning betters personally. And that may be like the, this sort of inherent like love that I have and wanting to get adulation from Seville, which is well, not- hopefully hopefully that hopefully this will help you, Jeff. Yeah, maybe, I, cer- I certainly I'm know that some of them are very sharp. Suck up to, suck up to but, Seville. Okay. Um, uh, are we you have su- good. A freehold at E Street Band 1968. Are you surprised ESPN has fully embraced the Pat McAfee show and his gang by giving Pat a prominent role? Should ESPN be scrutinized for promoting a non-journalist who's promoted and financed by FanDuel Sports? Book. Do you agree the shark has been jumped? Um, I, I don't know. I don't get that metaphor. I mean, I, 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 I think ESPN has to do something to continue to be relevant. And Pat McAfee is incredibly culturally relevant with young kids and, and with the, the younger, I mean, like Barstool, like they, you know, they're just this the, whole, it's a whole aspiring punters of, of the world. What's that? I said the, the aspiring punters of the world. Oh, punters. It's I got, thought you it's meant got punters. A, it's got the, a double meeting, Jeff. Yeah, I, I got it. That was a good, I mean, I, I don't know. It doesn't surprise me. I mean, I guess to some degree, 
you would think like ESPN was have this certain this bar, but I think it's smart, honestly, by them because they've got to try to, you know, like part of my take. I don't think you've ever listened to it, Rufus, but it's a really good podcast. I mean, it's and and it's you know, it's it comes out of Barstool. It's not Portnoy. It's a couple of other guys that are very thoughtful and um, funny. And you know, the 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 note like can ESPN generate that kind of content themselves not really they're just not set up to do things like that um so maybe yeah a teeny bit surprised but also probably the right move for them um uh is anyone incorporating ai into their accounting methods uh i don't even know what that means i guess that means I'm guessing chat gpt i've seen people like have maybe i don't know is that like use i don't i mean the maybe. ai thing so someone asked me the other day, I was like uh, talking to this company that wants me to be an advisor. And they asked me a little bit about like the AI stuff and like, does it surprise me like what's happened? And I think you and I have talked about this for a long time that the actual um, like skills and around analytics and AI are a little bit of a commodity it's ultimately like the ability to get really good data or to have an approach that's nuanced or different that gets you an advantage. So I think what's happening with chat GPT is largely predictable. And like, you know, like Google's going to have their own and Facebook will have their own and LLMs and whatnot. It, it, the, the value is still going to be on sort of the other, each side. It's how you take these models and implement them. And then it's also how you get data to put into these models that maybe no one else has. So, um, I don't know. Like it's, yeah. it's not surprising me. Does AI is really AI is really good at a few things, but it's really not able to do much else besides that. It's great at pattern recognition, for example, but it still can't think like humans do. Yeah. Okay. On to the uh, next. Um, at Mapado, are you able to name the bookmakers or colleagues in the marketplace that have stiffed you? And if so, did you go about trying to get your cash? How did you go about trying to get your cash? Um, I, I could, but I'm not going to. I have been stiffed, and it's you know I value having, I, I value having all my limbs and all that, and I'm not going to try to. Um, uh, yeah, I'll leave it at that. Um, I've, I don't know what else to say there. Like it's unfortunately all, a part of the been, business that happens. You kind of yeah. occasionally, and and that's why it really make it is important to work with people that you trust. And I think it, if you're in this industry long enough, occasionally you will get burned. I've only been stiff once and it's ongoing right now. And I'm, it was through a, a friend who had the account and I'm literally just telling him just, just keep pushing and see if they'll keep giving us a little bit more money that they owe us. And, and that that's about it. So um, just be persistent, I guess. And, you know, eventually, you know, if you're dealing with good people, eventually they're going to be like, this is life's too short for me to continue to get annoyed by this person. I'm just going to pay him. Um, okay. Terrence Deneen says, Rufus, what percentage of your golf bets are pre-tourney versus intra-tourney? Might as well just answer that while we're there in the question. Um, I would say probably 80% pre-tourney maybe. Um, do you believe average Joe should wait to toss a golf bet after round two to see who's performing? Well, I know Jeff loves betting outrights going into the weekend. It gives him a sweat. So I would base uh, maybe, would you say yes to that, Jeff? Because I know you're not a golf modeler, but you enjoy a golf sweat. Yeah. I mean, I, I've, yeah, I, I think that's a fun thing to do because, and again, like it's kind of, it, it, I had like a really good run of doing that. And I, you know, I think that you and I would have looked me in the face and said, you were getting lucky. You were getting so lucky. But, but still it was super fun. And now that like the variance, I mean, I, I don't, I haven't done it very much this year. Um, but the few times that I've done it, I haven't done particularly well. Um, it's so it's, it's less fun. So I haven't been doing it. So, you know, like it's, 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 it's definitely fun when you win. <laughs> like anything Too else. long. Didn't read. It's fun when you win. It's not fun when you lose. Exactly. Um, the last one is hoops and football and game isn't in game. Isn't better to me, but horse racing halfway through would be helpful with reduced odds. Of course. I, yeah, I don't know what to say that. 
What's the question? That's not a question. Um, last, our last question. We, and I think we'll have gotten through every single one. It's from Nathan we Midnight. We did this already. Leader. We did this already. We did that. Oh, we did. We did indeed. Okay. Yeah. So we made it through, I believe, all the questions, unless there's any late there arrivals go. here. Jeff, do we have any late arrivals? We do not. No. We don't. I think we're good. This has been a long meandering podcast, but it's been good. We, we covered a lot, though. It'd be easy to edit because it's just going to be one piece. I love that. Um, what uh, what do you got going on this next week, Rufus? Anything exciting? You yeah, I do. Picks, you got any picks in the golf? I'm it would have to pull that up. I don't know. Um, I'm sure I do, but I'm going to the Orioles game today and maybe tomorrow also. And I'm going to my 15 year college reunion in New Ooh. Haven. So I'll be there for the weekend, and maybe I'll get to play That's the Yale golf course. I think some people were trying to maybe organize a, a golfing outing there. So that'd be fun. Any golf, like other golf in your future? Nothing, nothing scheduled yet, really. I haven't, when I'm in New York, it's, I don't golf that much. It's just hard to. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I'm going to try to find uh, a pick for you while you talk about what's going on this week for you. This week for me, I'm solo with the kids because my wife is in Ibiza. Um, I, um, how do you feel you about know? that, Jeff? I mean, that's all I know is in Ibiza, people get drunk and do crazy shit. I've seen videos. I'm happy for, I'm, I'm happy for her to do that. Yeah. You know, I'm happy for her to enjoy herself. Um, yeah, just just uh, continue to grind on some baseball and, um, you know, maybe hopefully watch the Celtics win. Take it one game at a time, win on Thursday, hopefully. And then maybe there's a Saturday game. And the Saturday game will be next level if that happens, because that'll be, you know, think about that, Rufus. If you are the team that was up, how do you feel as a fan if you were the team that was up 3-0 and you, you feel are now worried. only up three, two, and it's your home game. I mean, are you, you feel just... you feel worried? Yes. That's there's no other word for it. Yes. Yes. So that's all we're doing. Um, I don't want to give any picks because I've been giving NBA picks, and the idea of giving a NBA pick out right now on the Celtic series just makes me just want to curl up in a ball. I, I do think like that that betting that and you think it's a narrative but i think betting the celtics game i think you should either take the celtics with the points or take the the heat money line um, i think you know, having not looked at the numbers i think that is bad advice but but <laughs> sorry yeah but also but jeff, not but jeff is saying numbers. here this is not a number this is his yeah yeah, it's my gut it's it's like his gut, totally his it's the opposite of bet it's opposite of bet the process it's it's you know Joe t- Joe guy. Tom Dick and Harry sports book betters you know whatever a you know uh, cousin Sal kind of stuff. Okay, the pick I'm going to give I might have already given him a different week, but we're going to give him again is Bo Hostler. Bo, Bo Hostler, the Texan. Nailed it. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna take him at eighty to one or higher. I make him seventy point eight seven to one. Yeah, last week I Hoss. I when we didn't when we didn't have the Calcutta I asked our friend uh will if he had any you know golfers that he liked more than the market and he gave me bryson and and hv3 as two that to to take a shot on so i took a shot on both of them i had so hv3 to sweat out of by the way 250 I, to one something like that i think i got him at a 400 to one at some place but mm. i had jeff we had the worst i think our worst result in two years this in this past week it wasn't good we like it wasn't the matchups were that bad. It was just that we literally all our top five, top tens, et cetera, like just whiffed like nothing, nothing in contention. Yeah. And then, and then we had some Scheffler after round two and some anti Kepka going into the last round with some, uh, some Hovland and Connors stuff. And I had like a Connors top five and a Rose top five going into the tournament. And even those didn't win. So it was just brutal. I, I think we would have. It's. I think we would have done well in the Calcutta, which is a bummer that we didn't do it. I think it I would have just... gotten slaughtered even more. So it was. It was good. It was. Well, a really we got to get the. We got to get the U.S. Open one going because it's sad not to do a Calcutta for the majors. For sure, I think. Okay. Um, all right, everyone. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you guys all again next week.
Imagine Massey Peabody rankings Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system That break down the data analytically driven Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic The bottom line is watered down, it seems like they don't get it Puppeteers are but the engines running off a leaded None of it's organic, it all sounds synthetic That's why I fucks with Jeff Ma and his dog Rufus No locks of the year, they just tell you what their truth is Maybe make your pockets fatter as the bookies get thinner Give the information turn and losing betters into winners Yeah Sturm Hahn, Reppin' Ruckers, Jeff Ma, Rufus Peabody, crunching all the numbers, Massey Peabody rankings, we're looking for the edge, analytically driven, crunching all the numbers.